Welcome to the Ridge University Podcast, a place to listen, learn, and discover tools for living. Now here's your host, Ridge Director of Discipleship, Will Heron. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is Dane Logan, the Marketing and Communication Manager at The Ridge. I am your host for this Big Questions of Faith series, and I'm back in the studio with Ridge Director of Discipleship, Will Heron. Will, episode three. Welcome back. Yes, here we are. Good to be back, Dan. Yeah, so we've covered quite a bit of ground in the past couple episodes. We've talked about the reasons to believe in God. We've also touched on Jesus's claim to be the only way, the only path to God. And so in this episode, we're going to discuss a pretty big one. Uh, it's a question that I think is held by a lot of Christians and, and non-Christians. Um, we're going to talk about the Bible. You know, mm. so what is its authority? Where does it come from? And, and what do we do with it? Why can we trust it? So it feels like we could do a whole series on this topic alone. So where do you want to begin unpacking this in the 20 or so minutes that we have? Yes. So I, I think you're right. We're not going to cover everything in this episode, but there's two main areas that I, I do think are going to be helpful when we're thinking about the authority of the Bible, why she would, why we should base our lives on the Bible. First is the formation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And second is the message of the Bible. So okay. Yeah, let's dive into those things. Yeah, let's go ahead with the formation of the Bible, how it was put together, talking about the writing of the books themselves and the letters that make up the Bible, and then how they got compiled into this book that we have. Yeah, so I I think thinking about the formation of the Bible, for me personally, I want to start by saying that growing up, I think I had the idea really that the Bible was something that God dictated to someone, and they wrote it down, and and then they put it into a book form mm-hmm. and then and then spread and, it around. And here we are. And here we are today. <laughs> you know, that's it. Since then, I think, you know, growing up, I, I realized that that story is actually probably more similar to the formation of the Book of Mormon, for example, or the Quran. That actually the Bible feels to me more like kind of divinely inspired patchwork quilt. Okay. Uh, than kind of a word for word dictated work. And when I say patchwork quilt, I mean that the Bible was written by multiple authors over different time periods, different continents, you know, with scribes, councils, scholars, all all playing a role in that formation and the translation of the Bible, actually. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, we believe that these books in their writing, their editing, and eventual collection, that they've all been inspired by God. Or another way of saying that maybe is that the whole process is being directed by God. And so okay. that makes it authoritative because it's God's word. So you're saying that it's inspired by God or directed by God, but but how do we know that? I mean, is that just a matter of faith? We've taken on that, or is there something else going on there? Well, I do think that there is faith involved. Um, I would call it reasonable faith. Mm-hmm. I think in this area, I think we have great reason to uh, to hold faith in the Bible. One of those reasons that leads me to believe is just how miraculously coherent the Bible is in terms of, of story and theme. Mm. You know, when, when we look at the Bible as a whole, we see one coherent narrative of humanity turning away from God, God moving toward humanity with a plan of reconciliation, you know, from the Garden of Eden to the wandering of the Israelites to Jesus coming to the new heaven and new earth and revelation. This series of books written over 1,600 years, 1,600 years, they all act like, kind of like pieces in the narrative puzzle, you know, moving the story along. Mm -hmm. And the Bible in many ways has the feel of 
if you think of it this way, um, kind of like a building that has been built over a long period of time by many builders, sure. but has one architect over the whole process. So I, I believe that coherence and storyline and, and theme are, are some of the hallmarks of, of having a divine architect. I mean, 1600 years, Dan, that's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. For there to be any sort of coherence over that period of time is worth paying attention to. I For sure. Say. So you're arguing that there's a narrative coherence when we look at the Bible, but I guess I wonder what about the way in which these books came together, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a finished product now, but it wasn't always that way. And lots of people wrote lots of things. So how do we get to the point where we feel like, okay, these are the right books to be in this thing. And, and this is God's divinely inspired word. Yes. And there's lots of great books, actually, in that formation process of the Old Testament has come together, New Testament, and we're going to post some of those in the show notes. So um, if you're listening, be sure to, to check that out. But looking at the Old Testament, I mean, this might seem kind of simple, Dan, but if we if we believe Jesus is who he says he is, if we believe that he is the Son of God, then we have to take seriously his claims that the Old Testament was authoritative. Okay, so yeah, you know? Jesus had the Old Testament accessible to him during his lifetime and Correct. referenced it um, quite frequently. Yeah, quoted often, you know, um, disciples refer to it as scripture. So we have this endorsement of a man who claimed to be God and as Christians we believe to be God. So I think we have to take that seriously in terms of the Old Testament. Sure, that's that's a good defense, I guess. I mean, if a man who claimed to be God pointed to it and said, this is, this is my word. Yes. Um, And if you don't believe that Jesus is God, then, I mean, I'm not sure what it matters then. Why would you want to follow the Bible? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Right. But there was, you know, quite a bit of the Bible that came then after the life of Jesus. So as we march forward to the New Testament, kind of walk us through how that came together. So we have 27 books in the New Testament, four gospels, several letters, the book of Acts of the Apostles and a prophetic writing called Revelation. And there are lots of writings that popped up in the centuries following Jesus' resurrection. So question is, how did we get these these 27? Mm. So there, there was a certain criteria that qualified a book as scriptural. So one, the author had to be an apostle like Paul, John, Peter, or the author may have also been linked to an apostle. So you think of somebody like Luke, for example, he wrote Luke's gospel in the book of Acts. Those books are said to be based on the Apostle Peter's teaching and also based on, on eyewitness accounts as well. But there, there are other instances where the writer wasn't an apostle and didn't have that connection, but they did see Jesus in the flesh and they heard his teaching firsthand. And an example of that would be Jesus' half-brother, James. So another criteria for acceptance was that what was included in the book itself was considered in line with Jesus and the Apostle's teaching. And in fact, we see much of the New Testament writings were written to combat what we'd call heretical teaching in the early church, or teaching that contradicted contradicted Jesus and the apostles' teaching. So there's two criteria. Then the last criteria used in addition to those two um, was the broad acceptance of certain books within the early church. You know, we know that everywhere the church spread, uh, uh, Asia, Africa, Europe, the contents of the New Testament that we have today was known and reproduced. And there were there were just certain books that not only met the criteria I've just mentioned, but also resonated with the early church so much so that they naturally rose to the top, as it were, and they were deemed as authoritative. So when there was two official councils in the late 4th century to finalize the New Testament collection, the councils merely recognized the obvious at that point that these 27 books were authoritative and inspired because okay. they, they met these three criteria. Yeah. 
So that explains a bit about how we came to have the books that we have today. But how can we be sure that what we are reading is actually what the original writers wrote themselves? If you want to know the accuracy of an ancient document, you need either the, the original copies mm-hmm. or lots and lots of copies written close to the original, you know, the time that the original was written. Now, unfortunately, for many ancient texts, we just don't have the originals. It's just so far removed from it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, there aren't actually many copies either of ancient documents, but the New Testament is actually quite different. So while we don't have the original writings, we have just over 24,500 partial or complete copies of those those writings dating from just a few decades after the originals were written all the way to the third century. Sure. And Dan, these texts are remarkable in how much they're alike. I mean, they are consistent to the point of being identical. Um, not to say that some variants don't exist because they do. More than half of those variants have to do with just spelling differences. Sure. And if there are passages that kind of look different, it's never a point of jeopardizing a key tenet of the Christian faith. And as you mentioned, there's 24,000 partial or complete copies of right. these original writings. And so that helps us to cross-reference them against one another to find which ones are more alike versus yes. those maybe are the outliers. Yeah. I think the abundance of texts really help us. We're able to form an accurate picture of what those original writers penned mm-hmm. under the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And again, if you're wanting to dive deeper into this, you know, the formation of the Bible, just check our show notes. Yeah, check that out. It's a great resource. Um, I want to ask you briefly, though, about something we don't maybe think about when it comes to the Bible. Do you think there is faith involved here when it comes to how the Bible came together? It seems like, as you just described it, there were a lot of moving parts at that point in time. I think this is a really good point, Dan. And it's only in the last few years I think I've started to think about this, uh, that often we think about faith in God. You know, I have faith that God exists. We can't know 100% sure, so I have faith that he, he exists. But actually, I think that we can have reasonable faith with the Bible. I tend to think of it this way. You know, if we look over the expansive history of the Bible being written, collated, and translated, I think we have to acknowledge in faith that God has been sovereign over the whole process. You know, recognizing that writers and scribes, translators and consuls, they've all been part of his plan in the formation of the Bible. There is faith in believing that God, the biblical architect, as I mentioned earlier, chose these individuals as the tradesmen to bring his creation to fruition. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's one of those, I guess, instances where we have faith in God, but God so often chooses to work through us, his creation. Yes. And so it's a great point. We're not necessarily limited to only putting faith in the things that God does on his own, mm-hmm. but also in the ways that God works in and through his creation through us. Yeah. I think that's a great point, Dan. I mean, when we look at the formation of the Bible, it's certainly consistent with the way we see God work in the Bible. Yeah. You, you know, don't we often think like, God, it'd be so much easier for you just to bypass humans. And, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? But and, it's and occasionally he does, but more often than not, he More often than not. Right through us. Yeah. We Prophets and, and yep. apostles and yeah. Good. Well, um, like some of the things we've been talking about within this conversation, whether the coherence and story and theme, there's there's a huge variety of manuscripts. You said earlier, quite a few, 24,000 some odd that we yeah, yeah. kind of used to get to this point. Um, what about what the Bible says though, right? So how does what the, the content of the Bible, the stuff that actually did make the cut, the stuff that we have right now, how does that speak to the authority of the Bible? I think... On a personal level for me, this is one of the most compelling 
arguments on this, actually. You know, in the book of James, the writer talks about God's word being like a mirror. It tells us about ourselves, the true nature of our hearts, our true need for a rescuer. And I think for me personally, one of the reasons I believe the Bible is God's word is because of how insightful it is in highlighting human nature. Mm. You know, what it says of humanity and the world is timeless and accurate. For example, the Bible says that humanity and the world are fundamentally broken. Right. I feel that's that's pretty plain and accurate. The Bible says that our hope is not in ourselves, but in a rescue outside of ourselves, that this isn't a problem that we can fix by ourselves. And I, I think at this point in history, I think we would agree that that's true. Yeah. The Bible says that God is the the source of creation, that there's an artist behind the art that we see all around us, that objective morality exists and that he is the foundation for that. Uh, as we talked about in episode one, right. I think that makes a lot of sense too. But Dan, here's another one for me. The Bible says that death and sickness and evil, that they were never meant to be part of the story and that one day God's going to drive those things out and bring forth a new heaven and a new earth. And I think this makes a lot of sense of our experience. You know, our resistance of death and sickness and evil, our sense of injustice mm. over those things. So that narrative for me rings true. It's what kind of insight I would expect God to have. Yeah. And if he's going to write a book about it. Um, that he would communicate to us. So what I'm saying is, as we look to ourselves, humanity, the cosmos, I believe that the Bible speaks what we would expect from God's point of view, you know, clear insight into his creation, speaking to why we were made and, and how we were made to live. Yeah, it's almost like when you, you hear a, a new song on the radio that speaks to a, a, some sort of a, an experience you had before. It's almost like you just want to say amen. It's like, yeah, that's that's me. That's like, it. That cuts straight You've just heart. read me. Yeah. yeah. And when you read the Bible, that happens so often. I, it's maybe a different character, a completely different context, a completely different culture. Yeah. But gosh, that human experience, it, it pervades life today too. Yes. So when you read it, it's like, it, yeah, you want to say an amen. And again, Dan, when you think about the fact that it's written over 1,600 years, people, all different trades and backgrounds, different continents, the fact that they could all be inspired to write in such a way mm -hmm. of truth that is timeless and across cultures and across centuries suggests to me some sort of divine architect of the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, so it is super insightful, but in full disclosure, there are other books that are insightful as well that are not scripture. So mm. what other the reasons exist for why we should trust this book? Well, I mean, you could look to archaeology. Certainly, uh, there's been a lot of discoveries that have really backed up a lot of the places, historical figures that we mm. read in the Old Testament. It's one recently, actually, just a few years ago, um, was pretty cool. It was an inscription excavated in Jerusalem, which in part read, Hezekiah made pools in Jerusalem. And we know by reading Second Kings that one of the great works of King Hezekiah, King of Judah, was making the pool and the tunnel that brought water into the city. Yeah, but prior to that, we had no other record of no that no record whatsoever yeah. and so that has happened a lot of times mm -hmm. i mean pontius pilate as well i don't think there was any re there was any record of of him and then suddenly now it's a while ago now i think but again finding an, an inscription with his name and his title so it's those kind of things i think that can really confirm what we're reading in the text now it's not to say that there aren't stories in the old testament in particular that we look and say noah and the ark for example i mean where's the ark we haven't been able to find it that kind of thing but i think certainly the consistency that we see with m many of the other stories many of the other historical figures in the bible gives us good reason to believe that the others are are true yeah so there's a lot of modern 
and and maybe longer ago discoveries that seem to affirm a good portion of what took place in the Bible. And, and cool mm. to see that even today we're still unearthing artifacts, um, remnants of that culture that reinforce uh, the claims of, of events and people that exist in the Bible. Yeah, That's for sure. Cool. Yeah. So we've looked at the formation of the Bible. We've also taken some time to look at the message of the Bible and the grounds for its trustworthiness. But this is this is a big question, you know, putting our faith in this book. So is there anything else that you feel like you should add as we kind of come in for a landing with this episode? Dane, there's a very personal aspect to the Bible. I mean, I think of so many people in my life that I could sit down and talk to about the, the, the influence that the Bible and the message of the Bible has had on their lives. And I'm sure you could do too. And even our listeners here who have read the Bible for any length of time. But it does make me think about Queen Elizabeth II, who, who recently passed away, but she was coronated actually in 1965. And at that ceremony, the then Archbishop of Canterbury gave her a Bible, and he said this, and this is a quote, I present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. And again, Dan, I, I just think that many people would agree. Millions and millions of people over centuries have found this book to be life-giving, you know, bringing clarity to their lives in terms of purpose and who, were they, who they were made to be, how they were made to live. It's another thing that we, we could sit here and say, yeah, you know, the Bible's powerful and transformative, but man, there's many lives that have been changed as a result of encountering God through it. Yeah. We'll never be able to even number them, right? I mean, right. this has been around for a long, long time. Yes. And just think of the number of people that have devoted their lives both to, to spreading the gospel as yes. related to the Bible, but also living it out. And such is the transformational power, actually, of this book that many have given their lives for its translation mm-hmm. and the distribution of this book. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Well, again, Will, thanks so much for the work that you put into this and for sharing these these thoughts and insights yeah, sure. with us. And thank you guys at home and, and in the car, wherever you are, for listening. Um, we're, we're hitting the home stretch here. We've just got one episode left. Um, reminder to check out our show notes for additional resources um, to any questions maybe we could, couldn't explore completely in this episode. Do some, some work on your own and continue the exploration of this question of what is the Bible? Why do I believe it? Why do I put my trust in it? Um, But yeah, looking forward to doing it again here real soon as we continue to explore these big questions of faith. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you are interested in finding ways to live out your faith, why not head to our church website, ridgelife.org. There, you'll find opportunities to serve in the church and in our local community. You'll also discover ways to get involved in community groups. One of the best ways to find support and encouragement as you seek to live out what you're learning from the Bible. Head to ridgelife.org for more details. 